Good morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word as we read from Psalm 50, verses 1 through 6, and also from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I hear the word of the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the, the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my consecrated ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God himself is judge. In verse in 2 Corinthians, Paul, and probably what is his most passionate letter. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us his light. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. You may be seated. This Sunday is in the church calendar, Transfiguration Sunday. Now, the transfiguration is the unveiling of who Jesus really is. The glorious, eternal Son of God. Very God of very God. Equal in substance with the Father and the Spirit. Now, Epiphany is the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles. But transfiguration is the revelation of his divine glory. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Father declares, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Mark 9, verse 7. Jesus' transfiguration is the beauty that arrests you forever. His transfiguration transforms all those whose eyes are opened to see it. Like Peter and James and John on that Mount of Transfiguration, after seeing Jesus' glory, and they were told not to tell anyone that what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead, they were never the same. And they they did that. As John would later write in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Peter, too, at the end of his life, he would write, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven 
and when we were with him on that sacred mountain. See, Paul would have the same transformation happen when Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, Paul, whose Jewish name was Saul, is he's changed by this glory of Christ when this happens. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And when he gets to the city, he meets Ananias. Ananias, whom the Lord had said to him, he's my chosen instrument, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is what Paul was told, and it's what he would testify to later. But this encounter with the glory of Christ changed Peter. It changed John. It changed Paul forever. See, they experienced what is the essence of salvation. As you see, the essence of salvation is to see the glory of Christ and live. Because seeing the glory of Christ, it moves you away from self-glorification to Christ-glorification. It, it will move you away from self-preaching to preaching Christ. Because, you know, in our world, in our world, in our culture, in our times, well, no matter where you are, you know, to, preaching and promoting yourself, it's expected. You know, there are books and seminars and YouTube videos, endless movies and commercials that instruct you on how to preach yourself. How to gather all of your, all of your talents and all, all of what you consider your, 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 your beauty and, and to promote that. You know, it's like your resume building. And if anybody tries to get in your way, you cut them down. But when Jesus reveals himself to you, there's no choice but to abandon everything and pursue him. You see, Jesus' transfiguration is for our ultimate transformation. Like the apostles, you find the glory of the gospel of Christ is that it, it brings you to the end of yourself without ending you. It's by the light of the glory of Christ that you can see everything else clearly. You can also, you can see how you are to relate to God and to others. So Paul would say, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. But what does this glory of Christ do? So what does this glory of Christ do to us? And, and why do we need it? Those are, those are two, two great questions to ask. Why do we need it? What does it do to us? Well, it reveals to us the cloak, how, how, how it reveals the cloaked minds of the unbelieving. It opens the ears to hear the command of God. And it conforms us to Christ's image by the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
So here's the first thing. It reveals the cloaked minds of the unbelieving. Verse four, verse three and four of, of Second Corinthians four says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the glory of Christ reveals the cloaked minds of the unbelieving. Do you ever wonder why people don't believe the gospel when they hear it? I mean, it's true in my own life. But the first time I heard it, I didn't, you know, I didn't believe it. You know, but the scripture, the scripture says their minds are veiled. Their hearts are cloaked. And that word veiled, veiled means to hinder the knowledge of a thing. We have experience with that, don't we? (laughs) It's like almost every day, 24-7. It's called the news. Sorry. So, for example, you know, so here's hindering the knowledge of a thing. For example, you go to buy a car from Honest Joe's used car lot. I hope no one here owns that business. You looked at the cars online and they, and they looked good. You go, you, you test drove it and it ran well. But you get it home and you drive it for a few hundred miles and the transmission starts to slip. You take it to the mechanic. You find out you need a new transmission because this one is worn out and it's full of sawdust. Yeah, you see, the knowledge of the thing was hidden. You're bl- it was blinded. It was cloaked. And you bought it. The scripture is telling us that the God of this age, the devil, hinders the knowledge of the gospel with all kinds of, of sins of self-centeredness and self-promotion, self-interest allurements. and So to keep the minds blinded and and. And, and this is probably the most scary part, it's a blindness that you're complicit in. You want to be blinded. You want the glory. You want the self-promotion. You like it. And we do. You see, the problem isn't the gospel. The problem is blindness. John Calvin would say this, he said, the blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. For the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive it. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great picture. See, no one, no one chooses to see the gospel on their own. Christ has to reveal it to you. And Paul in 2 Corinthians, on, when he was on the Damascus Road, rather, he didn't recognize Jesus and the people of God whom he had been killing. Even after being knocked off of his horse by the light, he didn't know who it was. Who are you, Lord? Until Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, when, when Paul talks about the reading of the Old Covenant, he says, Their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only Christ, only in Christ, is it taken away. I have a rabbi friend up in Wilmington. I hope he's not listening. I doubt it. But but he, I, I, I love listening to him talk about the Old Testament. 
because you know, I, I mean, we had a tour up there at, at the synagogue in, in Wilmington. But it, and, and he talked so beautifully about the banners they had and the, and the law and the Torah. He talked so beautifully about it. And, you know, and he gives these great insights that, 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 are, that, are, that are just there in, in, historically in the Hebrew. And it's like, you know, this is just great. But he doesn't believe in Christ. Uh, I mean, that, that, this, this, this is that veil. It's that veil. It's not removed until Christ is taken away in Christ. And so if you are to see, if you are to see the glory of Christ, it's because Christ reveals himself to you. And then when Christ removes the veil, the transformation begins. And we become, as verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 3 says, bold. We are set free, 2 Corinthians 3.17. The mercy that we receive from the Lord keeps us from losing heart, 2 Corinthians 4.1. We live the gospel transparently, that's 2 Corinthians 4.2. And we stop preaching ourselves, verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 4. You see, Jesus, glorified, enables us to see his glory and thus experience his salvation. Because when when you're seeing the glory of Christ... The cloaked minds of the unbelieving becomes a burden for us, becomes a burden to you because you want them too to see the glory of Christ too. So the glory of Christ also opens the ears to hear the command of God. Second Corinthians 5, 6, 5 and 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 5 and 6. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, Paul looks to the story of creation in Genesis 1 to make us aware of the glorious gospel of Christ. That, and, that it is the recreation of all things. We are made new, the heavens and the earth are being made new. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Spirit of God speaking through Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And in Revelation 21, 1, The Spirit speaking through John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We are made new, the heavens and the earth are made new through this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is saying, for the one whom God calls, there is no way to deny the impact of the unveiled glory of Christ. His glory reveals the cloaked minds and it enables us to hear the command of God calling us to be made new. Hallelujah. The psalmist in our Old Testament reading talks about the the power of the command of God as he comes to restore order and and beauty and and out out of chaos. Our God comes, Psalm 50 verse 3 and 4, our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Do you see how the command of God gets everything started? It's God who summoned light out of darkness at the beginning of creation. And through the gospel, this gospel of the glory of Christ, God makes his light 
shine in the darkness of our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you hearing the command of God? And you ask, well, what's the command? Let light shine out of darkness. How do we do that? By not preaching ourselves, but preaching Jesus Christ as Lord and seeing ourselves as the servants of others for Jesus' sake. See, preaching Jesus as Lord is what it means to preach the gospel. And being servants to each other for Jesus' sake is what it means to live the gospel. You see, when everybody, and this is, this, this, this is our, this is, these are our times, when everybody's self-seeking, self-promoting, self-glorifying, chaos, darkness, division, and disorder thrives. It's like the weeds that grow in an unkept yard. It presents itself as alive, but it's really killing you. But God made his light shine in our hearts. Why? Well, the scripture says to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So we cannot know the glory of God and live if we don't know the glory of Christ. Remember in Exodus 33 verses 18 and through, through 23, Moses asked God, now, Lord, show me your glory. And God tells Moses, the Lord said in verse 19, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. So what am I saying? That in hearing the command of God, he is summoning you and I to come and see not only his glory, but now to look on the face of God in Jesus Christ. He's until Jesus came into the world, no one had seen God. But Jesus, listen, listen to Jesus' words to his disciples. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? You see, God made his light shine in the darkness of our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
So it takes looking, it takes looking into the face of Christ to be transformed from self-glorifiers to Christ-glorifiers. This leads me to the last point that this all-surpassing glory of Christ does. It conforms us to, to Christ by the glory of God in the face of Christ. Good verse 6 of chapter 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you want to see the face of God? You have to see it in Jesus' face. Ah, You have to see it in Jesus' face. And the good news is, God is sovereign. And God is sovereign in making his light shine in our hearts. That's the reason why you want to see the face of Christ. God is at work in our hearts, giving us the light. And he gives to us, sovereignly gives us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And where is that glory? The text says, it is in the face of Christ. I say this, this, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, God does this for his own pleasure. This is, this is, this is, it just, this just blows my mind and, and, and it delights my heart at the same time. Because God, he does this for his own pleasure. God delights to glorify himself. His happiness is tied to him glorifying himself. And that's a, that's a distinction. It God is not, his happiness is not tied to you and I glorifying him. His happiness is tied to him glorifying himself. See, whether you glorify him or not, God's still, he's still happy. <laughs> but the overflow of his happiness is a blessing to his creatures for which if they are doing what he created them for, they are most blessed when they're beholding him and reflecting him. You know, Jonathan Edwards, in, in his little book, The End for Which God Created the World, he writes this. He said, God's own happiness arises from what that reflective image and participation in his own beauty. This reflection and participation happens when people behold God's glory, highly esteem and love it, and rejoice in it. It also happens when people carry out his love in the world, testifying of it to others and displaying supreme respect for God. When a creature made by God does all these things, it is the same as saying that the creature is exalting God as his chief good and making God his supreme end. Now you see, Christ's glory has to be our supreme end. The catechism is right when it says to us, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. In 2 Corinthians 3.10, Paul says that there is a surpassing glory. And he says this, he says, for what was glorious has has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. But that surpassing glory that eclipses all other glories is in the face of Jesus Christ. Is there anyone like him? No. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the blessing, that priestly blessing in Numbers 624, that priestly blessing is true for you and I. Because of Jesus. And listen to the blessing. The blessing of Numbers 624 and 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. See, Christ makes all of that a reality in our lives. His death in our place, his resurrection from the dead for us, his ascension to the right hand of God are all the ways that the Lord lifts up. That's what that word turn towards you. That's what it means to lift up. That's, those are all the ways that he lifts up his face toward us. Do you see why you, see why you need Christ's surpassing glory? You need, it, it's, it's the only way for God to end your self-glorification without ending you. There's no other way to, there's no other way for you to bear the humiliation of the burdens and the things that we suffer in life unless you have his surpassing glory. It's only as you take in this love too. It's only as you take in this love for you that that you can give up the pursuit of your own glory. This last story, George Matheson, and we'll close. George Matheson, on on the occasion of his sister's wedding, he penned these words. George Matheson wrote the song, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. But he penned penned those words on the night of his his sister's wedding. And and perhaps, you know, it's speculated that perhaps what he had in mind as he wrote this was the story, his own story of of his fiancée that years before had left him because he was going blind. And she didn't want to be married to a blind man. And what particularly stands out to me is verse 4 of the hymn where it says, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. Brothers and sisters, the Lord invites us to stop preaching ourselves and to trade our fading glory for his everlasting glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know the world in which we live. Enable us by your eyes, by your, by the power of your spirit, enable our eyes to continually see the glory of Christ. Thank you for having mercy on us and, and revealing his glory to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and, and giving to us the face of God. And Lord, we do, we long to see your face. Make it so, Lord Jesus, come. That we might see you and be satisfied. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.